Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined, as always, by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. A sea bass, or a sea egg. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. I get to share the pow-pow fruit with you. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. (laughs) (laughs) Announcement! Announcement! It's your weekly reminder about our Patreon page. As a celebration of us reaching our second year, our second series, and our top 50 favourite video games of all time, we have decided that we wanted to step this podcast up a gear. So we've launched a Patreon page. So if you're a fan of the show, you can pledge your support in exchange for some wonderful perks. We've already released a smattering of Patreon-exclusive content in the form of some hilarious deleted scenes and outtakes, a whole Patreon-exclusive bonus episode, and there's also up for grabs some custom artwork, social media shout-outs, and even the chance to record an episode with us. Also, for a limited time only, we've made the bonus episodes available to pledges of all tiers. So if you want to check it out, now is a great time to head over to www.patreon.com forward slash our three cents and see what all the fuss is about. (laughs) So this week we have our number 44s. Oh boy. But before we do that, it's time to keep our gobs shut whilst we manipulate some of the most horrifically designed puppets in all of human history in a display of the most outrageous ventriloquism. It's all right, folks. (laughs) You can see why I stopped doing them for a bit. (laughs) So the scores are currently 30 points to Chris and 25 points to Minty. Chris cultivating a healthy lead. Let's see if Minty can bring it back. Yeah, kind of need to. What was the spin-off digital card game of Blizzard's mega-hit MMO world? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Straight in there with the correct answer. Oh, well yes. done, Minty. Woo. There we go. 30 points to 26. Yeah. This is the start of a revolution. So, what have we been playing this week? Animal Crossing all round, I assume, still? Yeah, still quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, I've put in just so many hours. It's absurd. It's absurd. But it's just too wonderful. It's too wonderful. It shows when you visit your island. You've got, like, pavements. Wind farm. Wind farm. I've got a wind farm. That's my favourite <laughs> thing I've done, I think. Absolutely brilliant. Cost me, like, 12,000 nook miles. but uh... Worth it. Oh. Absolutely worth it. Are they just decorations, or do they give you any electricity? Is there electricity in Animal Crossing? I mean, not that I'm aware of, no. Oh. Tom Nook doesn't quite have a monopoly. Thank <laughs> thank God. Mm. Nook, Nook the crook. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've also made a little plaza for my residents. I've grouped all of the uh, the houses together into like a little suburb, and I made a plaza with some nice cobbled streets and, and things, and got the island designer now, so I've made some, some waterfalls and changed some moves some cliffs around and stuff, and I made a, a pond down uh, by the entrance in like a nice little park it's just i mean it's just wonderful it's absolutely wonderful i can't get enough of it mm. i've actually used it as a way of keeping in touch with people at the moment as well in in a roundabout way yeah because i've, I've had kind of video chats with friends and family who obviously we can't see at the moment because of the, the current circumstances and situation but it's been quite nice to have just something else to do in the background that we're both having a little runabout on an island whilst we catch up and have a chat so it's lovely it's it's proving useful as a coping tool like we said when we talked about it on a special but also just as a a social tool as well i I know what you mean because 
we've got a little group going with various people I know who have got the game and I've just found myself just popping over to people's islands just oh you know I'll pop over and get some flowers that you have in you know in your town that I don't have in mine or or could I just pop over and sell my fruit and then you just have a little look around and a little little chat and you just see something a little idea that you might want to sort of take back to yours and I just find I'm just keeping keeping in touch with quite a few people simply because you know yeah we're just touching base about animal crossing it's lovely it's mm. really lovely it's nice isn't it what do you guys make of the bunny day update and happenings that are going on in the town are you i mean i i absolutely can't piss for eggs at the moment they are <laughs> riddled with them i am a fan overall i'm a fan and I, i've seen a lot of sort of quite negative discourse about the whole thing at the moment <laughs> yeah. you could you could say as a, as a nice way of describing it but i think a lot of that comes from kind of people maybe approaching Animal Crossing from the wrong way. Yeah. And and for me, this is exemplified. Like the other day, when the new fish kind of rolled around, the new bugs and fish at the start of April, it meant that the night before, I spent almost four hours trying to catch a string fish because <laughs> I, I knew it was it was leaving the rotation, as it were. For, Did you get it? Well, until December, a long time. I didn't, know. Oh. But that, that kind of frustration at the time, I sort of had the annoyance at the end of the night. I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, never mind, I've, I've missed it this year. But at the same time, I kind of felt, but it will be back in the future. If I'm still playing by the end of the year, it will still be there. Yeah. And, and I think people need to approach Animal Crossing less as something they're trying to sort of complete. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think with the bunny stuff, I know it's like it means that you can't fish as readily as you, as you could, or it kind of changes some of the rhythm of what you might be doing when you log on, even if you're, you're just playing it for 20, 30 minutes. But it just adds another layer of something to do if you want to engage with it. Yeah. And I, I think as long as you're not the type of person that has such like intense fear of missing out that you, you feel driven to do it when you don't want to overall i think it's just a nice way to sort of refresh it for a few weeks and then off he pops and we we do something else yeah i mean i think if it if it carried on for the whole month i think that might start to be a bit annoying then yeah but it's just it's not even it's not even two weeks and it is it's nice it's really good fun but like chatting to the residents in my town and they're they're just so excited for it. <laughs> they're so excited for Bunny Day. It's so nice. It's just so lovely. <laughs> Have you guys played anything else alongside Animal Crossing in our in our downtime at the moment? I've been interspersing my Animal Crossing experience with a little bit of Doom sixty four every now and again. Ooh, tasty. Ah, yeah, lovely. Yeah. How are you finding it? Great fun. Very very good game. I love it a whole bunch. I do. I'm very bad at first-person shooters, but this one is just the right tempo that I can, you know, beat a level on the lowest difficulty. <laughs> I have been continuing playing uh, Monster Boy in the Cursed Kingdom. Is it still going? Is it significantly longer than uh, Dragon's Trap? Oh, mate, it's huge. Yeah, it's an absolutely huge game. Is it? Yeah, it's vast. I'm only about halfway through the game as well, hmm. apparently, according to my sort of percentage completion thing. Well, and uh, yeah, I've just unlocked the fourth animal of six, I believe. So yes, I'm around about the halfway point, and uh, yeah, it is fantastic. I, I can't recommend it highly enough, especially as it's it's just gone on sale on in the eShop at the moment, so it's like fifty percent off. Oh, brilliant! Ah. The eShop sale is something that I failed to resist as I bought four games today. <laughs> what, what did you buy? So I bought Transistor because it was a couple of quid, and I thought. After mentioning Bastion the other the other week, I thought it was a good opportunity for me to, to give, give it a go. Transistor another go. Yeah. I bought The Escapists, which was again just a couple of quid. Yeah. I thought that's that's a game that I've wanted to play for a little while. 
I also bought Round Guard. Oh, the um, the Peggle RPG type thing. <laughs> which yeah. has had fantastic reviews and looks looks really, really good. And I also bought a game called Three Three Thousand Three Thousandth Jewel. God, that's a lot harder to say than I <laughs> than it looks to read. Three Thousandth Jewel. Ooh. What is that? From what I read, it is a 2D Metroidvania Souls-like game. Obviously, right up my street. Yeah. It was like seven quid. I was like, yeah, I'll give that a go. It's had really good reviews. So yeah, stay tuned for updates on all of those games Ooh. in the coming episodes. Some eagle-eared or eagle-eyed listeners rather may have seen that i recently started a video series the last week or so yes so anyone that has noticed we do have a youtube channel that we're we're starting to kind of populate a bit more if you search for our three cents podcast on youtube you will find us and i've I've been doing a series called hard drop about weird ports spin-offs or games inspired by tetris and naturally that's meant that i've played quite a lot of weird tetris games in the last week alongside animal crossing which has been great fun you really have yeah, I've really enjoyed watching the the videos that have gone up already. They're fantastic, really interesting, as well as entertaining. Thank you. I think it's it's been nice to do something creative as well because I've got a lot of downtime at the moment. That obviously, being a teacher, school is uh, out at, at the moment for the foreseeable future. And additionally, we're recording this just before the Easter break starts, and that means that even my remote teaching work has now ended for the next fortnight. And I've had to find something to fill my time because I think I'm going to go mad otherwise just sat in the house. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if, if you're interested in weird Tetris games, it would be really nice if people would uh, check it out. Let me know what you think. Yeah, do. So, shall we move on to the rankings? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. So, starting this week, we have Chris's game. Chris, Ooh. can you please tell us about your 44th favourite video game of all time? Okay, my number 44 is a game that I know you both enjoy because it's already featured on both of your lists. Interesting. Yes. Now, to date, only Fantasy Life has landed as a top 100 title for all of us up until present day. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's actually a little bit odd that this is a game that now finds itself with the lofty title of being R3 Cents approved. But, you know, there's no accounting for taste. <laughs> it's Team 17's Worms Armageddon. Oh, wow. Oh, how about that? How about hey, that? Right. I played Worms and then I played Worms 2, the, the original two games, on a friend's PC back when I was at primary school, like going way, way back. And I really enjoyed like, the turn-based artillery strategy of each match. I really loved the over-the-top weapons. I love the ability, as, as simple as it sounds, just to change the names of each of your worms. So much <laughs> That fun. was like a huge thing for me as a kid, to, to be able to customise what I was playing. Absolutely. First thing I ever did in any Worms game I ever got was create a team made up of the members of Genesis. <laughs> As I got a little bit older, I didn't have a home computer for for a number of years. So I played the execrable port of the original game on the Game Boy. Oh, wow. That was very poor. Yeah. Uh, I played a not too bad port on the original Mega Drive of the original Worms. I played a little bit of the port that was on the Sega Saturn, which a friend yeah, had. Yeah, I had that. But it wasn't until I got my own home computer when I was at secondary school then, a couple of years on, or at least I should say I had access to the family computer, really, but that I was able to actually play games and Worms Armageddon. For me, I think Worms Armageddon is the highest of high watermarks for the series as a whole. Yeah. I mean, over the years, I think the Worms franchise has become a little bit confused And after Armageddon, we had Worms World Party, which was largely just an expansion, really, to Armageddon rather than its own game. But it was okay. That was decent. We then had three 
count them three whole terrible worms 3d games yeah <laughs> that, that just missed the mark so completely for me like maybe some people really enjoyed them but it, it lost all of the the joy i got out of playing um, armageddon then since then we've had about 10 almost annualized releases in the modern kind of rebooted 2d franchise yeah which started back with open warfare in 2006 and some of them are okay some of them are not too bad and the most recent game worms wmd which I think you mentioned at some point, Jonathan, getting it on the eShop, yeah. is, is not bad at all. It's pretty good. But it's not Armageddon for me. But for me, like Armageddon had just the right amount of customization. It had the right amount of single-player scripted missions as well as score attack content alongside the game's kind of skirmish mode. Because honestly, things like, if you remember the Super Sheep Racing, just as a little side mode. Oh, yeah. I, prob- oh, I, yeah. I probably played that for 30 hours of my time with the game. <laughs> and like all you do is you, you release a sheep, you launch it into the air, and you use the little cursor keys to essentially just drive it around and collect crates under a time limit. Everybody's super <laughs> sheepy racing. <laughs> it's, it's basically just an arcade-style score chaser. Yeah, it defined a huge amount of what I really liked about Armageddon. It also, I think it has the right amount of weapons to allow players to maintain like a working knowledge of what to use in a given situation, as well as sort of how to improvise if you don't have access to certain tools that you would want. So to, like, to this point, I think Team 17 had almost been goaded to just add and add and add each game. But Armageddon, I think, is where they could have stopped. Like, I, I know they've, they've changed things over the years, they've added things in, they've taken them out, but the whole kind of like toolkit that was available in Armageddon, I think, really was the best example of being able to juggle like the tactical use of weaponry against like all of them having sort of an inherent sense of humor as well i guess that i think worms does really well so armageddon gets the balance just right between utility like something that can actually be used and and is useful and also kind of the jocularity that it's it's still got a joke to it so you've got things like the concrete donkey you've got the holy hand grenade you've got the old woman all these kind of different weapons will make you laugh but they're also useful because they can be used sensibly to sort of turn the tide of battle and it's it's like a special move to hide up your sleeve for the, for the opportune moment. Some other bits of uh, Worms Armageddon Esoterica, it was the first game I bought for the PC that didn't work when I tried to install it. <laughs> so I, I remember trying to return it to the store I, and, and was told there would be no refund because it was a PC game that I could have taken home and copied as 12-year-olds are want to do at that age. And that led me on kind of a mission to then understand computer drivers and DLLs and other sort of PC nonsense that pushed me further to become primarily a, a console gamer, <laughs> but also stimulated like this weird interest that I do still have in, in software troubleshooting. Like recently to do this video series that I mentioned, I've, I've put together like a PC to do some some editing. And you always run into weird issues where it's like the RAM isn't being recognized or or some software isn't booting like it should. And once I get stuck on that kind of trail, I, I can't get out. And, and that goes back to basically wanting to get Worms Armageddon to work when I was a kid. <laughs> like I remember at the time proudly going back to Dixon's like a week or so after I'd fixed the issue and speaking to a bemused, totally uninterested salesperson about my achievements. <laughs> like the, the, the guy could not give a fuck. He was not interested at all. I did it. I bloody did it! You all doubted me! All of you! All of you! Yeah. Now I, just, I just felt it was important to go back and let them know that I'd done their job for them. And then, uh, you know, if any other customers had issues with the game, there was the solution. That's what yeah. you need to do. Yeah, it's, it's, it was really good. And it was also from memory, the, the first game I played online 
from that I think I can't think of one before oh, that yeah. via the um, Wormsnet online servers. It utilised like a very basic ranking system. Essentially, like if you beat a player ranked higher than you, you you would raise your title and your little flag, and losing may drop your ranking down. And I, I wasn't even particularly good at the game. I was I was pretty shocking at it to be honest. But I still played nightly for for months in an effort to attempt to climb up these leaderboards. And I remember thinking I was like <laughs> the best in the world, eking out wins with distant shotgun shots or ninja rope grenades, only to then lose a game later to someone who could read the wind with such accuracy that my whole team were forced to just tunnel into the ground to shield themselves from like a, a bazooka barrage. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it, it was what it was. And it's again, it's probably a reason that I, I don't play many online games these days because as much as I might enjoy them, I'm, I'm pretty shit at most games. <laughs> Worms Armageddon, I think, is, is a great game. And one that, crucially, for here, is one that we are all now on record as having loved. Yeah. So, yeah, Worms Armageddon is my my 44th favourite video game. Fantastic. I'm pretty sure that I played online with you. I think you did. And, that, and yeah, and that was an early, very early moment in terms of my uh, online gaming activity. And one that, like, like you, <laughs> I, uh, I I never really kind of pursued any further than, than I absolutely had yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, you guys, if, if you've got a few quid spare, why don't you pick up Worms WMD on the eShop and then we can play we can play some worms together. Yeah, we'll see we'll see how we get on with that. Oh yeah. That'd be really fun. Fantastic. Well I look forward to hopefully having some worm on worm action with you fine folk. <laughs> Moving on, we have Minty. Can you please tell us about your forty fourth favourite video game of all time, please? People talk about how Ocarina of Time is the best N sixty four game, <laughs> but they never take into account the fact that Banjo Tooie exists. Oh. Yes, 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 <laughs> and yes, folks. The absolute pinnacle of three D platforming collectathons is my forty fourth favourite video game. Banjo Kazooie crawled, so Donkey Kong sixty four could walk. Donkey Kong 64 walked because it was weighed down by pockets full of five different kinds of bananas, ammo, <laughs> blueprints, coins, crystal coconuts, oranges, camera film, and watermelon. But it did that so that Banjo-Tooie could fly. <laughs> so picking up where Banjo-Kazooie left off, after Gruntilda's defeat, her sisters Mingella and Blob Elder Winky Bunyan devise a plan to suck the life force out of the whole of the Isle of Hags to rebuild her body. So naturally, you do what anybody would do and get a load of jigsaw pieces together to open up new parts of the island to get more jigsaw pieces and so on and so forth, and then you win the game. You take the fight to Grunty and beat her a second time after she basically murders her sisters in the end-of-game quiz show in a remarkably bad plan that we haven't really seen since Napoleon invaded Russia. <laughs> but what a remarkably imaginative and competently made game this is. It looks great, it controls well, the collectibles are shorn of anything extraneous, while there are five new types of eggs for Kazooie a bird to shoot out of her mouth <laughs> the nests you get them from cycle through the different kinds so instead of just having that oh I've got, I've, there's some eggs I need some fire eggs you just wait a couple of seconds and the eggs become fire eggs it's great it's a good solution the musical notes that you need to learn moves from Jamjars the Mole oh. the brother of Bottles who was killed by uh, Gruntilda sisters and those musical notes are now bunched into groups of five with a treble clef worth 20 hiding in each level. That's just 17 note groups to find in each level. It's clean, it's efficient, it's sharp. No pun intended. <laughs> ah. 
I tell you what, mate, that joke didn't fall flat. Oh, it's good. It's good. This this podcast really does stave off the boredom. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> Didn't even have that one written down. Just, just came up with it. Just plucked it just out of the air. Them out. <laughs> Back onto the uh, lack of anything apart from essential collectibles. Instead of having to find a buttload of mumbo tokens to pay mumbo jumbo to transform you into different things, you just need to collect two little creatures called globos. One to give you control of mumbo jumbo so that you can cast magic spells like shining the sun very intensely into Jolly Rogers Bay so that you can breathe underwater. Apparently the sun gives water oxygen somehow. But hey, that's magic for you. (laughs) So yeah, you give one to him to cast spells, and you can also give one to the uh, gently racist caricature of a Native American, complete with wigwam and the phrase big heap. Oh, rare. uh, So that she can transform you into such things. (laughs) We had uh, Taj and Diddy Kong racing the other week. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're not really batting a thousand at that time, were they? Mm. (laughs) But yes, you can make you into a little bear made of stone so that you can take part in the stone creature football tournament. A washing machine so that you can clean the uniforms of the factory workers for a jigsaw piece. A snowball so that you can roll around, get bigger and heavier to press big switches. Uh, A bee. (laughs) (laughs) So many things with unique abilities to elevate the gameplay without becoming too bloated. It's a fantastic balance that's achieved in every aspect of the game design, I think. There's, there's eight enormous worlds that are so different, but wait for it, they're interconnected. Uh. So the cavemen in the prehistoric world are starving. You need to grab them a burger from the theme park level, but you can't leave the theme park with the burger because it gets taken off you. That, you know, that's fine. Just grab the shoes with the plungers on the bottom of them from the factory level and then sneak out a snack through the secret exit in the theme park that doesn't get monitored by the people who take your food off you. Naturally. There's an ice cube called George (laughs) that got blown away from the icy side of the fire and ice level into the sky level. He needs you to push him off the side so he can fall back to Earth and be with his wife, who I think was named Mildred? Unfortunately, you miss, and he melts in a boiling pool on the fire side of the level. But he did, however, cool down that pool enough so that you can press a switch at the bottom of the pool to drain it into the swimming baths in the underwater level to warm it up enough for Piggles and Trotty to go for a swim. Actions have consequences. (laughs) (laughs) The entrance to the factory level is locked. You need to defeat the boss of the mine level to steal his train and get inside the factory and open up the front door. You can also use that train to transport a sick Styracosaurus to mumbo-jumbo to heal it of its sickness. It's just profoundly economic levels despite their sprawling size. It's fantastic. There's so much to do, there's so much to explore, and... Wow, I lost so much time to it. I just thought it was really, really excellent. Banjo-Tooie great game well it's certainly fitting that you mentioned mumbo jumbo for that <laughs> game because i didn't understand a word of that <laughs> i i never played banjo tooie properly i loved banjo kazooie I, I think i mentioned before that, that was my favorite rare era platformer for the n64 hmm. and then i was put off by donkey kong 64 and i sort of never came back to tooie after that I, I played it very briefly on xbox live when it got a port 
uh, alongside the first game. Mm. And because I hadn't played it as a kid, it didn't grab me with the same nostalgic desire to want to to get through it all like like the original had. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe one day because that that port is very accessible these days. If you do have a a three sixty or an Xbox One, so perhaps I'll I'll give it a go. Maybe one day. Mm. Oh, you should. It's basically Banjo Kazooie, but a lot better in every single way. Oh, that's that's high praise. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed for a rare collection to come out on the Switch at some point and then I might finally play some of these games that I uh, totally missed out on. Mm. There should be one. I, I just hope there is at some point. So lastly, but not uh, firstly, <laughs> we have my game. <laughs> God, such such a stupid joke. So this might come as a bit of a surprise to you guys, so bear with me. Whoa. My 44th favourite video game is a 16-bit game. No. No. So, as I've mentioned several times before, I sat out the entire 16-bit era of gaming. I went straight from a Master System to a Sega Saturn, so a lot of the big games of that time kind of passed me by. But there were still games that I was aware of. You know, I'd see on TV or in magazines that would capture my attention and make me lust after a, a Mega Drive or, or SNES. And some of these games were made all the more impactful, partly because of my young, impressionable face of the time, but also because it was rare to see games advertised in any fashion back then. So when a big fanfare for a game came along, it, it, was, it was really quite sensational. So when... I saw a massive full-page ad that revealed the starring character of this game, along with the mind-blowing statistics. It's taken 22 man-years, 32 megs, 32,768 colours, and one supercomputer to make him look this gruesome. I knew that I had to play Donkey Kong Country. Ooh. It's a good game. On a side note, I've always loved it when things were advertised with statistics like this. I remember the Asterix book, Asterix and Cleopatra, was branded as the greatest story ever drawn and then listed on the front cover all the elements that went into it, like a million sheets of paper, I don't know, like a Titanic of ink and the Earth's equator of typewriter ribbon, stuff like that. Even the superlative Pitfall the Man Avenger was marketed <laughs> on it. Chris? <laughs> Stunning 256 colour art! Correct. <laughs> oh, oh. I fucking love that game. Uh, it's not on my list, but I, I really, really love it. So, back to Donkey Kong. As a 2D platformer, it looked a world away from its contemporary stuff like Mario and Sonic, and, and it looked absolutely stunning. You had this beautiful jungle backdrops and the lovely rounded 3D rendered sprites looking photoreal, I'm, I'm sure. The, uh, the different characters looked amazing. You had like the Kong clan, you had the rideable animals, even the enemies and the bosses. I remember someone saying to me when I was saying how it looked 3D, they said, yeah, but it's not really because it's pre-rendered, so it doesn't count. Oh, boy. And I've never been proved more wrong in my life. I'm still embarrassed about that blunder to this day. <laughs> it doesn't count. Shut up. I love a pre-rendered sprite. Another side note, although staying marginally within the same franchise, to share some more pre-rendered sprite love is for Mario vs. Donkey Kong on the Game Boy Advance, which was uh, beautiful. So much like the Sonic games did when I was that age, there were certain levels that I would catch glimpses of in adverts or I'd hear talked about in the playground. In Sonic, it was always Casino Night Zone, just an 
I mean, just a brilliant Amazing. combination of nouns. Set the mind a whirring. What a, a cosmic adventure that would be. And for Donkey Kong Country, the, the thing that really set my mind afire were the minecart levels. Oh. And uh, seeing those, I, 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 li- I literally couldn't imagine anything that looked like it would be more fun. Not, <laughs> you know, rolling down a hill or Saturdays in the park, you know, not Ryan Giggs. <laughs> I mean, having said all of this, it took me six years to finally get a chance to play it when Nintendo surprisingly ported it onto the Game Boy Color. The Game Boy Color, yes. Oh, That's where man. I played it. What, so your, your choice is the Game Boy Color version? Yes, it is. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a curveball. I know, I know. So, I I mean, I know that the version of the game I played wasn't fully representative of the original SNES game. I mean, the sprite work was a lot less refined (laughs) owing to the Game Boy's ability to only render playable sprites in like a maximum of four colours or something. And the backgrounds were a lot lower resolution. But, I mean, all of the gameplay was still there. You could still tag in and out between Donkey Kong and Diddy, although Diddy didn't run alongside with you, which would have made the console blow up, probably. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, all of the classic levels are there, all the enemies, the bosses, most of the music, and it was just, it was so much fun. So, I mean, it wasn't an easy game at the best of times, and and having the slightly less refined experience meant that the game was, I mean, a real challenge. Yeah. But I, I played it so much that I could... I could comfortably complete any level pretty much perfectly at any time. I mean, that's the sort of teen spirit I'm sure Nirvana were referring to. (laughs) And it was an absolute riot to unlock one of the animals to ride on. Or in in this game, you were just replaced with them. I mean, you know, see the previous comment about blowing up. It's Animorph style, isn't it? You just turn into them. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With like a a two-frame explosion animation. (laughs) But when you smashed open a crate to be replaced with a rhino or a swordfish or an ostrich i mean i don't think there's many feelings of of, of sheer power that supersede that (laughs) and the minecart levels are there i mean that is what i came for that that is why i stayed there were two main minecart riding levels in the game one quite a bit harder than the other but but, i mean my goodness were they both incredibly fun i loved them i mean absolutely loved them i would spend many an evening in the corner of my lounge hunched under a lamp playing those time after time yeah whilst i don't know the generation game was on or big break or something (laughs) pot as many balls as you can (laughs) one of the things that gave the game real replayability and longevity were all of the hidden bonus stages that were in the game I mean, sometimes you would have to take like a leap of faith and charge off the side of a level and you would land in a, in a secret barrel and be blasted to a secret area. Sometimes you would need to stay on Rambi the Rhino whilst hopping across the tops of trees, as rhinos are wont to do. Famously. <laughs> to then find a hidden rope to swing on to get to a new bit. But I mean, there were absolutely loads of these hidden all over the game. And, and you would slowly raise your completion percentage on your save file until you, well, what can only be described as break the game and maths and achieve the completed 101%. I don't think Rare quite understand that. And given the trend that they went on to establish in Donkey Kong Country 2 and 3 with 102 and 103%, I I mean, I'm not happy. So despite some of the most unreasonable hitbox collision detection in video gaming history, I think this game is probably the first instance of me realising I had a penchant for the hard, but not unfair, types of game that I've harped on about before. You know, if you died, it was always your fault. 
even though some could describe the movement mechanics as slippery at best. Apparently, the original designers studied the movement of gorillas for the basis of the game. But then when they saw how sluggish gorillas were, they wanted something that was a bit snappier for this game. They instead based the movement of Donkey Kong on the galloping of a horse. I can see that. So it's uh, it's no surprise that you'll sometimes misjudge the end of a platform here or there, or the odd jump and swing when you fail to factor in the gait of a gorilla into your equations. There isn't a reference point for that, so again, not happy, but I take comfort in the fact that Miyamoto himself described the gameplay as mediocre, apparently. <laughs> oh, he hated it, didn't he? He, he famously yeah. hated Donkey Kong Country. But having said that, it's still a series that has delivered some of the best platforming experiences on Nintendo consoles, you know, even stretching back to the Donkey Kong Land series on the Game Boy, which, I mean, to be fair, did a, a brilliant job of replicating the Donkey Kong Country series on a 4-bit console. I mean, it was mad. They really bloody went for it with those (laughs) and obviously like the recent Donkey Kong Country Returns and Tropical Freeze I mean they're exactly the sort of evolution you'd want to see from the series now I mean don't get me wrong despite Tropical Freeze being 41 places lower on my list it is a far superior game to this one in my opinion and and certainly the Game Boy Color version of that (laughs) but the experience of being able to play this long lusted after title in the palm of my hand admittedly a control technique that was unconventional (laughs) it's certainly a a game that was uh, very much loved by 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 this chap here so yes Donkey Kong Country for the Game Boy Color is my 44th favourite video game of all time. That is bananas. Hey! (laughs) Absolutely bananas. But I get what you're saying about the ability to play something that you didn't have because that's what I was saying about Worms like the reason I played Worms on the Game Boy was because I had no other way of playing it and and that was the version I had and that was the version I had access to and and the Game Boy and the Game Boy Colour there'd be loads of those so I I did play the Donkey Kong Land games because I never had a SNES I'm trying to think of other ones like for a long time, I had the the Perfect Dark game on the Game Boy Color before I had the N sixty four title. Oh yeah, there's all sorts of kind of like weird crossovers like that. That yeah. obviously they're not completely comparable, but sometimes and and Donkey Kong Country more than others, they they capture enough of the spirit of of the sort of the bigger yeah. release that as a kid that's that's everything. Absolutely. It's like it, you have you have something fantastical in your hands and and. Yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> I mean, we poked fun at, at games like Alone in the Dark and Carmageddon and Grand Theft Auto and stuff like that. But talking about Perfect Dark, there was a there was a really good Game Boy Color Tomb Raider game. Yes, that was yeah fantastic. Yeah, and that that's a huge element of of why why I found so much enjoyment in in this. And and to be fair, you know, other games that have been on my list already, stuff like I mean, Lemmings was was one that I played predominantly on the Game Boy. And let's not forget. Jurassic Park. Uh, yes. <laughs> so there we have it. Another three games. First of all, we had Worms Armageddon. And then we had Booey Tango. And finally, we had Donkey Kong Country. Game Boy Color. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed <laughs> any of the episodes, please do subscribe to the podcast, like it, leave us a review, share it on social media, tell your friends. If you want to reach out to us, you can do that. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash our three cents. Feel free to chat to us about any of these games, any other games that you've heard us talk about. You can even ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode. 
You can also reach out to us individually if you like. Take us to task on our opinions. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. I am Clement underscore Boo. And please don't forget to check out our Patreon page where there are absolutely loads of fantastic ways to get more involved with what we're doing with the podcast. Big shout out to CJ Anderson, Gene Limbrick, Andy Smith, Debbie Booth and Guy Lockhead for their current Patreon backing. And please do join us next time for our 43rd favourite video games of all time. Wow. Hey, Chris, what's the War Rocket Ajax podcast about? Well, Matt, if we were smart, it'd be about murders. But it's actually about comics. War Rocket Ajax. It's not about murders. But it is weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network. <laughs>